What did you want to say? Um, no. What are we going to watch after this? Um, no, I can. You can't what? Um, no, no. You got to leave this on. Well, ASMR for everybody. This is episode 106. Is that right, Papas? It is. It's episode 106 with one of my fraternity brothers, Francisco Emilio Torres. I gave him his whole government name. His social security is... Wait, are you coming back? What if I bribe you? Do you want a go-gurt? Do you want a go-gurt? What are we going to eat? A go-gurt? Yeah. Why do you like those? Moose. Moose? Yeah. <laughs> what about a moose? Do you know what the plural of moose is? Yeah. Meese. Meese. There's a lot of meese over there. What would you do if you saw a moose? I'm Mizumi. You'd go on Team Mizumi? Yeah. Is that your favorite show? Yeah. What? Really? Not Law and Order SVU? What robot? Oh, you like the robot. So if Law and Order got a robot, would you watch it? Yeah. Do you want to say anything else? No. You want to say have a good day? Yeah. You say it in the mic all close. Good day. That UGE salad looks like huge. Not that, like the way you know. Yeah. The way Don, the way Donald the way the Donald says Donald Jaina. So I'm so sorry. I I wanted to have you on because I ever since uh, I've known you, I think you've gone downhill since then. No, um, <laughs> you've just been this awesome mix of of goofiness plus intelligence, which is so hard to come by, and you're so kind hearted. But then also tough as fuck. And so, uh, I'm sorry, can I curse on your podcast? And so, I wanted to have you, and I've always found you um, super interesting. So, are you ready? I'm ready. I'm ready for any We have 39 questions. minutes, because I don't have, I don't want to get declined for the upgrade. One thing I've, I've noticed about you is you always had this uh, drive to stay true to your, your culture and your heritage. And I think you were the first person, at least for in my life, that I've heard use Chicano as to identify themselves. And mm-hmm. I love that about you because I, I lack it. Unfortunately, I don't have a lot of knowledge with my uh, Filipino or Irish uh, background. Where does that come from for you? Uh, for me, that comes from uh, a lot of it comes from my dad and other members of my family. Um, so my dad, um, you know, well, to preface this, in 1968, um, uh, the students, the high school students, um, primarily the Mexican-American high school students, in um, you know the LA area around Southern California, uh, staged a walkout uh, of school uh, to protest um, you know the uh, lack of access uh, those students had to uh, resources to get into college. Uh, and my dad was part of that, and that was a huge thing. That was a huge thing run uh, by the Chicanos, uh, Chicano movement at that time, which was pretty uh, pretty new. Um, <clears throat> so there's the the element. My dad, you know, is very proud of his his heritage and his culture, um, you know, uh, and, um, you know, there's also the element too from my mom's side of the family. Um, you know, a lot of people have seen the movie stand and deliver uh, about, uh, um, Jaime Escalante and like, uh, 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 you know, and the AP calculus students, the AP calculus class he had at, uh, Garfield high school. 
Um, and um, it's funny, my mom actually, she wasn't in that class, that group, but um, she did have a class with Jaime Escalante when she was, uh, when she was, you know, just about to graduate, so to graduate. And he, you know, always had that, um, that, you know, that, um, that, uh, you know, that kind of thing he says, it's in your blood, right? Um, and so, you know, I've just grown up uh, very proud of, you know, my culture and who I am, right? Uh, you know, and Chicanos in, in, in the Southwest have accomplished quite a bit, you know, um, the Mexican Americans in the Southwest have accomplished quite a bit. And, uh, you know, I don't think it's uh, wrong to say that, you know, Chicanos have a stake in the way this country, at least the way this part of the country turns out, you know, you have, um, uh, the union workers from Clifton Morency, the Mexican American union workers who, uh, were a huge part in the early, you know, late, late 19th, early 20th century in developing, you know, unions as we knew them in the 20th century. And as they, you know, they, uh, really developed into, uh, you know, forces in American politics, there was, uh, you know, in Southern California, you know, there, uh, you notice a lot of the streets are named after, um, or, you know, have, you know, Spanish names. And a lot of those are from, you know, uh, important uh, Mexican-American businessmen, landowners, whoever, right? So, I mean, a lot of it comes from, um, you know, just having pride in who I am and where I come from. And this is the reason why a lot of times it comes, you know, so uh, it comes out is because, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there a lot of folks out there who like have negative things to say and, um you know, it's important that, you know, people don't uh, think of that as the truth or at least as the only truth because Mexican America has been very important to this country. And I think Chicano, uh, being Chicano is very important to the country, right? <clears throat> Another example that comes to the top of my head, you know, and during World War II, uh, Mexican Americans had the uh, highest number of uh, medals of honor. Um, mm -hmm. And um, during World War II, they didn't obviously they didn't have as many you know the you know as the, you know as Caucasians did because you know it's far more. But you know still it's, it's a point of pride you know that uh, that you know that was a huge thing, right? Uh, and then you know a lot of the laborers during World War II from you know from Mexico and other you know Mex and Mexican Americans are you know Mexicans who became Mexican Americans you know fed the country pretty much because in, and that at that time they really needed it. Uh, they really needed the labor. They needed the farm workers to feed millions of military members and other uh, industry industry workers at that time. That was correct. <laughs> that was the correct answer. We met at College Town, which is a a very emotionally vulnerable place, and that's where we met. And then uh, you joined the fraternity. How how is that being uh, a Mexican American? Where, where typically males, and this is also an Asian culture too, right? We don't say shit. We don't show our emotions. We're, we're prideful. We don't let down our guard. Was that hard for you? Was your family very open and vulnerable? Or is that something you had to learn um, growing up? Because you and I have had really amazing conversations mentally and emotionally. And I miss that a lot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And, and that's, that's very rare to find in males. Was that taught to you? Did you have to figure that out on your own? Oh no, I lost Frankie. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes, I can. Okay. So you said a little <laughs> bit of column A, column B, and then it disappeared. My, you know, my dad always told me that it's uh, it's okay for a man to cry. You know, it's good. Uh, it's good when you need to. Um, sometimes you have to. Um, you know, my mom uh, was always very like uh, you know very emotionally present for me. You know, a lot of it is you know that it came from a little bit of privilege because I've always felt like um, I've been big enough to defend myself, even though I'm not super tall. Um, 
a lot of people like didn't want to, uh, a lot of people, you know, would be scared to like, you know, be emotionally vulnerable. And that just wasn't like, I was never, um, you know, I was lucky to never have that, you know, have to be scared. Cause I always had, you know, um, a solid group of friends and, uh, you know, I just never felt like in danger that way, uh, from people. My cousins made fun of me, you know, I was usually the, 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 you know, one of the bigger ones. So that's cool. You can make fun of me, but you know, Mike, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to be the one who gets beat up in the situation, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, not that like I was ever super violent or anything. It's just like, I, it, it comes from a, a place of privilege, I think. So, I mean, um, I'm, I'm fortunate to have been able to be, uh, emotionally vulnerable. From California to Arizona, what are some of the, the cultural aspects of each place, the, the differences that you found when you came to school here? Uh, mildly controversial, uh, but I think, uh, you know, the, uh, with like Mexican, Mexican Americans, I think in California, Mexican Americans are a lot more, uh, outspoken or at least more comfortable to be outspoken. Uh, because, you know, people who know me, you know, uh, from Arizona, you know, like I know I'm just, you know, I kind of, I kind of, you know, so I speak my mind, you know, I'm yep. outspoken. and for me like that, like I'm, you know, I'm one of the quiet ones over here, you know? So, <laughs> um, you know, if that, if that makes sense. So uh, that's what I think I've, I've always thought. But then again, then again, you know, I don't know everybody and I can't speak for everybody. So what do you think you would attribute that to, though, the not being as outspoken in Arizona? What any guesses as to why that might be? You know, unfortunately, um, you know, uh, I think it's a little bit more of a dangerous situation in Arizona. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, for, you know, for that. And, uh, you know, I, I was lucky to grow up not having to worry about that kind of like, uh, you know, that kind of negativity coming my way whenever, you know, I wanted to be, uh, whatever, whenever I wanted to assert myself, you know, I could assert myself in California, uh, even as a youngster and not feel very, uh, not feel threatened. Right. And I feel like, you know, um, that, that is, that that's a little bit different in Arizona. I felt like there was an air of like, you know, there's a, you know, a lot more people have uh, have guns in Arizona, and uh, a lot of yeah. people have strange, strange-looking flags on their cars in Arizona. So, uh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird. When you were talking about the little bit of the history with Mexican Americans, I had on um, James Garcia, who's a playwright, and he primarily does things from the the Latin American perspective, Mexican American perspective, and he said there's a a project he really wants to work on where. Uh, I guess during the Great Depression, there was this mass deportation of Mexican-Americans just to put the blame on them that the, the economy was, was doing so poorly. And I, I'd never even heard of this. If you can somehow compare, you know, you growing up, because for, for me in my grade school and high school, there was not a lot of Mexican-American history taught in history class. There's not a lot of Chicano stuff. We just heard about Cesar Chavez. And that was barely a, a, a day, maybe. Have you noticed a change? Has it gotten better? Uh, is it being taught more? Um, you know, it depends on the location, depends on the school, depends on the, uh, really, very, very much depends uh, school to school, public to private, but really it depends on, you know, the, uh, the teacher and what the teacher feels comfortable uh, teaching. And uh, because a lot of times what the teacher feels comfortable teaching has to do with students that are in the class, right? And if you know, if you're going to, uh, you know, talk about, um, you know, certain types of history, you need to be ready to answer questions why we're talking about that. In my experience, a lot of times it was brought up, um, you know, sometimes it would be brought up as an aside just because, you know, teacher thought we might be interested to hear about it. And I think that still happens a lot. You know, schools, uh, 
um, you know, teachers and school districts, I think, do make an effort um, around here, you know, to uh, in, in Southern California to, um, you know, highlight a little bit of Mexican culture. Um, but, you know, then again, it's not super ingrained into the um, into the curriculum. Right. In California, um, bilingual education was stopped in its tracks during the 90s. Um, I believe in the Pete Wilson administration and, uh, when he was governor. And so there's not so much of that. Although there are a few schools in uh, in California, even around where I live, where they are teaching uh, bilingual education. So the students actually have their homework in English and also in Spanish. Obviously, if it's in Spanish, it's a lot easier to learn about your, you know, your culture, you know, the uh, things having to do with Mexico and, you know, the Latin America in general. Uh, what kind of kid were you? I was always the, the class clown. I was the, he has a lot of potential, but he's not applying himself. So what, what kid were you? <laughs> uh, depends what stage. Um, so kind of somewhere in between the little kid from Up and uh, Manny from Modern Family. Russell. Russell, yeah. I'm between Russell and Manny from Modern Family. So no. I'm in there. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I would have hung out with you. That's, that's... Yeah, Russell was cool, man. You graduated ASU. What have you been doing since then? I think it's been eight years seven seven years eight years yeah it's been it's been a while so i yeah how is post-college life yeah so i finished up my classes in uh 2013 um mm-hmm. and i got my diploma in 2014 so technically i'm the class 2014 make sure you apply for graduation on time kids oh my god <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so i finished my classes in 2013 and i stuck around in arizona i worked at the, at the preschool um next horizon right it's just great stuff by the way have you seen uh every time i hear about animal crossing i'm like oh my horizon? god <laughs> <laughs> oh my god uh i'm debating whether to play that i had on um yesterday uh tim and ivan on the podcast and Tim was trying to hype it up for us and we just didn't get it. Not a lot's changed, huh? <laughs> not, not at all. So I said, ah, I think I'm gonna pass on this. Uh, but yeah, we worked in the same school and then you moved back to California. When was that? 15, 16? So yeah, I moved, I moved back to California in um, August of 2000, late August, 2014. Oh. And um, late August, 2014. And I was an in-home tutor for a while before I found, uh, you know, uh, where I work now, Middle Tree. Uh, middle trees and um, you know, well, I'll go into. I'll talk a little bit of my my time as a private tutor. Um, that was an interesting time driving to people's houses. Um, I would. It, it's funny. I would actually take in more money than I do now. Probably. Um, I haven't looked at the numbers in a long time. But then I would spend more uh, driving and oh man, not being able to eat at home, uh, things like that. So and also you know just being like stressed out. You know. Um, uh, having, cause I, I, I used to drive, <clears throat> so I used to drive from my, my house in Chino, California to Yorba Linda, which is like 20 miles and with traffic, it can be pretty nasty. Um, then from Yorba Linda, I would drive to, uh, Corona, which is in the other direction. And then, um, you know, I do that a lot of times, a lot of times I go from Tustin to Irvine to Yorba Linda Corona back to Chino, which if you're, you know, doing the tallies, that's like, uh, that's a, uh, it's a big, it's a big drive, right? Cause you're going from, um, because what, one thing about California freeways is that the 91 and a lot of times is the only way to get from certain places in Orange County to certain places in, in the Inland Empire, which is where I live. So, um, there are, you disappeared again, blow on your laptop here. I'll oh, blow on mine. Oh, no, oh. I, okay. You okay. came back. I'm back y'all. All but right. the, the traffic is awful. Yeah. Besides traffic, so would parents hire you and then you went 
to the kids? Is that how that worked? Yeah. So I used to be on a few like different tutoring websites. Um, and then I was with this tutoring company, this in-home tutoring company. So the, the tutoring website I was on was called Wiseant, or it still is called Wiseant, I believe. I used to also work for Club Z, which, um, you know, is an in-home tutoring service. And, you know, they would send me all over the place and uh, I would, you know, get my work done. But yeah, the best, the best money was through Wiseant because you could set your own prices and, um, you know, you, they have reviews and everything. You can even get a, uh, you can do a direct, like a, a background check through that through the mm-hmm. website so um it was it was pretty uh pretty um reasonable you know it was just uh too much on me you know i wasn't i was only a few years out of college so i couldn't charge the rates that some of these people do um and those rates actually kind of drove me towards middle street because a lot of these uh private tutors are charging like hundred dollars an hour oh, some gosh. of them $200 an hour, um, certain, uh, you know, certain tutoring services who I'll not name here. Um, but you guys can search it up. Uh, you know, we'll charge two, uh, $200 an hour sometimes, uh, for these, you know, for like test prep services. It's, uh, you know, it leaves a lot of kids out, uh, and you know, it's unnecessary. Um, you know, a lot of the material you can find, you can find a lot of the material for things, uh, for academic, you know, academic related uh, material. You can find a lot of that online for free legally uh, there's no reason for a lot of these services to charge for anything more than like labor and like space um, you know uh, maybe a book there's no reason to go you know overboard with the charges here and a lot of people are getting ripped off so i ended up going finding middle tree and the whole purpose of middle tree is to uh, uh, to provide access to education for as many people as possible, excuse me, for everyone if possible. Uh, that's the whole purpose of, of Middle Tree, right? Um, and so what they do is they provide, what Middle Tree does and we do is we have a few different services. We have a test prep service, which is what I do. Uh, we charge by the week, depending on how many weeks you get. So for example, um, if a student gets uh, pays for four weeks, it's uh, we do like $100 per week. Um, mm-hmm. And you can do up to eight hours of tutoring during that time. Now, um, it's not nothing, you know, it's still significant some, but, um, you know, it's not predatory like a lot of, you know, certain services are, um, you know, a uh, hundred divided by eight, that's going to be a little bit more than 12 bucks an hour. Right. Yeah, thank you, you for answering that. Cause that was not going to happen for me. <laughs> uh, right? um, oh, wait a sec. <laughs> yeah. 12 times eight is 96. So nope. you got me again. My Asian, the Asian part is turned off. My Irish part is, is on, I'm ready to drink after this. Were there any, I guess, personal issues with, with families? Cause, cause you're in their home, right? With, with these parents, was there ever anything awkward as far as, I assume it'd be very different. Even at, um, at Next Horizon, sometimes a parent would say something ignorant, but, but we're at work, you know, you're not at home, right? I can hear you. So did you ever experience anything like that? <laughs> the most awkward experience I had, there's this one family, uh, you know, I love the family. They really, you know, they really made me feel welcome, but they really trusted me and liked me a lot, which I appreciated. I was this, uh, I was the daughter, the, their, their daughter was in seventh grade, a sweet kid. And I was tutoring her for math. And one day the parents, you know, come up to me before a lesson. I was like, hey, you know, today, do you think you can do some science? Um, she needs a little bit of help with science today. I was like, you know, seventh grade science, how, how hard can it be? Yeah, sure, I can, I can do it, yeah. Um, so I go to do it. It's from the health unit of science. Oh, no. It's, yeah, it's that lesson. It's that lesson. <laughs> oh, and no. They had, they had me do the birds and the bees with this 12-year-old girl. Um, <laughs> I wish I could have been there for that. Oh, my. 
So it went well. It. I mean, I didn't. I didn't go to jail. No. <laughs> I, well, like, how do you even? First off, it'd be awkward explaining it to a kid, like if they're your blood or whatever, like niece, nephew, son, whatever. But damn, someone else's kid. It's uh, yeah. Another. Uh, so there's a few things at play here. Uh, number one, different cultures. Different cultures. You know. Um, you know. I won't give too much identifying information, but this yeah. is a. Um, you know, uh, an Asian culture. Um, um, so there was that element to it. So I didn't know, you know, it, I, didn't, I wasn't sure about what you do say and what you don't say um, all the way. Um, we don't have sex. That makes it the conversation so much harder. Well, that's good. Cause that's what I told her. I told her it didn't exist. No. <laughs> Just kidding. No. Um, so there's that element, you know, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I was a grown man. Uh, she's a teenage girl. Um, and uh, yeah. And, you know, it's also for her science class, you know, her unit, you know, I just made it as clinical and um, scientific as possible. I don't even know if she realized what I actually did teach her until after. Uh, but yeah, it was all that. Was it that that'd be terrible if it if it wasn't even the homework of the day? She just brought it up to her parents and they thought, oh, let's get Frankie to explain it. Say it's her homework. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. You're such a kind man. I love it. I was lucky to have uh, been paying attention during the meiosis and mitosis part of my biology class because I used that as a way to make it as scientific, clinical, and boring as possible. And I was like, hey, you got to take this material from, uh, you know, one person and this material from another person and go together. And that's uh, then, you know, then you're hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt 18 years later. And um, Are you yeah. trying to seduce me, Frankie Torres? <laughs> Wow. Oh my gosh. You're doing the at middle tree. And so now what has happened with, uh, has coronavirus hit California? Have you guys heard of this? Oh yeah. Uh, yes. Um, Is it there so yet? How has that affected your closed? Maybe. Are you? No. Our physical location has been closed, um, okay. but we've been, uh, we've switched to an online platform temporarily. Uh, so we've still been working with kids. Um, we do online lessons, uh, several, of, uh, several of them, uh, a day and um, yeah I mean it has not been business as usual um, you know a lot of families have been really you know crushed by this you know um, you know if they haven't lost their jobs the hours have been cut or they're worried about hours getting cut worried about losing the people losing their jobs you know so it's hard to afford you know the services that we you know, we provide um, and so you know we've been very um, understanding of that and we've been you know um, you know lenient where we can be but then outside of that, you know, um, a lot of the, the kids aren't getting assigned as much work, um, which, you know, understandable, uh, is understandable. Um, so, uh, but then a lot of kids, um, you know, are in this situation that they don't have control over. And what I've noticed is that a lot of kids, you know, can control pressing a button, being on, on mm -hmm. the video chat, you know, when their parents aren't around. Uh, so they, they do, they, they, you know, they use that. And I, you know, I, I totally get it because it's, you know, they're, uh, a lot of kids thrown in the situation where, um, you know, they don't want to be in and, you know, it's hard to be told that you need to do all these other things still too. There's been that element to it. So it has been a little, a little tough, but you know, we've really been, uh, you know, we've been doing a lot of good things with a lot of the kids. Uh, we have one little guy who didn't want to get behind and, uh, he took it upon himself. You know, his parents only speak Spanish. So he took it upon himself to make sure he's calling us. This kid's nine years old. He's calling us, you know, sending some of the most, you know, he's sending like nine, you know, text messages that a nine-year-old would send. It's just, you know, it's like, Hey, when can I be at my learning meeting? You know, oh, 
you know. Oh man. It's stuff yeah. like that. But you know, he's he's you know trying to be on top of it. Um, you know, uh, and a lot of times, you know, I think more so than just helping the kids, you know, learn academically, we are helping the students. You know, we're helping the students connect with another person during this time, or maybe they've only seen their parents and a few of their friends disappeared. This is why I shouldn't record at Wendy's using their Wi-Fi. <sighs> I guess I'll just start singing. Oh yes, there's back. Okay, I'm back. Sorry, yes. sorry. What was the last thing you heard? You're helping them out also because the the only oh. people they've seen are parents, and and so seeing their friends online. Yeah, so we get to see you know we get to see a new person, right? And a lot of the a lot of our staff members are you know on the younger side, uh, so you know it's you know they feel like well wow, these young people are caring about my education. These people who I look up to, who I want to be soon, um, are you know caring about my education. So you know maybe it makes it a little bit easier to for um, some of these kids to care about their education and. You know, some of them are, are still trying. Some of them are still going through the same thing. Um, I have one kid. I have one kid who, um, you know, we're helping her through her AP classes. Uh, some, you know, do well on her AP test. You know, and um, this kid has probably has the temptation to cheat. Probably has had the temptation to slack off, and has done the opposite. Right? This student has, you know, just really given it her best effort. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's fantastic to see what a lot of these kids are doing even during this time. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, and, you know, even some of the, even some of the kids who you might not, um, have expected that kind of effort from, they, you know, recognize the situation and, you know, they see that they could come out of this whole thing, you know, not having lost anything in their education or even ahead in a lot of cases, which is great. And then we're also trying to make sure that we're ready for the kids who, you know, there are kids out there who haven't even logged on to a single lesson with their, with their teachers, you know, and we got to be ready yeah. for those um, because we don't know exactly what the fallout from that's going to be. You know, kids are trying to make, uh, you know, some, some activists are trying to make the schoolwork optional. Uh, schools aren't going for that as much. So, you know, there's going to be that to deal with. And, uh, you know, we got to be ready for those kids as well. It's so we, we closed too. And then we switched to online. It sucks a lot. Cause my, my kids are pre-K are, are four and five-year-olds. I learned in the first week, you know, we do the zoom meetings and I'd say, Hey, did you do the centers? The kids are like, I don't know how to read. I can't open an email. Like it, it's up to the parents now. I go, Oh damn. They, the parents and the parents are either working from home or it's stressful cause they got kids running around. It sucks and it's frustrating. And I, I wish I could do more for them to help them learn. But I mean, I think they'll, uh, they'll be okay. It's just, it's, this is a frustrating time, I think for, I mean, for everybody, but what sucks is, you know, for, for these little kids who are, who are growing up and they're trying to learn. And it's, it's awesome hearing your, your kids and your school helping them out. And then, but then I, it like breaks my heart when Serena, who works for a school district in the kind of the West, in the West Valley, the kids don't have Wi-Fi. They don't have access to stuff. How? What do you do for them? And their their parents are are primarily Spanish speaking. Oh man, it's just things are just kind of falling up. It's really hard in figuring things out. It's been it's been really unfortunate for a lot of kids. The school district was obviously you know school districts were obviously unprepared. You know this this yeah. kind of thing hasn't happened in hundred years. You know, w- one thing I will say though, uh, one thing I think this is uh, one. One societal failure I have seen is that a lot of older professionals have still not taken technology seriously, right? And mm, how so? Um, you know, a lot of older, you know, you get a lot of um, older people who, you know, I don't see this as much with my work, um, you know, but I've, I've seen um, 
I've heard stories of, you know, older people who their kids can't do anything because their kids can't access, you know, you know, they can't really read and stuff. And the parents can't get the technology to work. You know, they can't figure out how, you know, what button to press. Right. Mm. And, um, and I, I've, I've heard of this from, I haven't really seen this too much of my, from my, you know, my own self, you know, I, I think there's a lot of people who haven't taken technology seriously and it's not something that you can, I think at this point that you can choose to take seriously or not take seriously. You know what I mean? I one time heard a story about an Amish person who didn't know whether to look both ways and crossing a street, you know, they were on their rumspringer and got ran over. Right mm. now, this person might not have thought that cars and roads were very important, but that wasn't that person's decisions to make. They were important. Right. Uh, and so I think at this point, uh, technology, no matter what, is important. I think it's very important to take seriously, right? And I think there are a lot of people who will say, "Well, I'm not a computer person." Well, that's like saying I'm not a talking person. You're gonna have to, you're gonna have to be able to do it. And so I've, I've, that's what I think. And I think too many people have gone the route of, "Well, I'm not going to change my ways." That's very frustrating, especially when it affects other people. Like if it's if it's your own stupid self, well, okay, fine, whatever. But when when kids are relying on you, when your coworkers are relying on you. That's, I think that's very irritating. How are you personally with this whole uh, situation going on? What's the struggle for you? Uh, struggle for me, uh, struggle for me has been um, the sheer amount of talking uh, I have to do, right? Uh, As you're on the podcast. <laughs> I'm so sorry. No, it's, uh, it's, uh, but with the kids, you know, with the online stuff, you got to be talking the whole time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Susan, it's it's hard to get them to do like, oh yeah, well even with my SAT kids, um, when I'm teaching the reading and the writing and language sections, it, you have to talk them through it. You can't just you know give them a, a problem and say get some practice, you know. So um, it, it's not like uh, when I have them in person and I say uh, what one method I do um, to make sure that they read the you know the preparatory material is you know at the beginning you know at the beginning I just say. Okay, so um, I'm going to pick some people out to uh, answer some questions. So if you're not confident about knowing the material, look it over right now. I'll give you a few minutes. And I'll say, Hector, what do you think about uh, what do you think about this? What do you think about this rule? What do you think about, think about this grammatical rule? What do you think about semicolons? Right, and uh, you know they're able to do it right. But in this case, no way of knowing who's read it. If I ask a question, you know maybe their internet connection doesn't work conveniently or yeah. uh, you know, uh, buffering. Yeah. Um, you know, we haven't seen that too much with my kids, but uh, you know, you can't rely on that. You know what I mean? It's so it's more so like a peace of mind, right? Like I, I, I can't uh, have all my kids show up to a meeting and be relying on something that's not going to, you know, not going to uh, be sure to work, you know, for them. Um, so that gets a little bit, that gets a little bit fresh. And then I have to make sure I'm just like, talking the whole time and hope they're listening uh, and a lot of times they are i think in some cases it's better to teach math online actually uh, it's easier to teach math online why right? is that um you know they have to look at the screen uh you know oh true you know a lot of times in math you know kids you know will be looking around uh, you know at each other or at the teacher right um but it's up there. This is the part of the whiteboard you have to be looking at. You have to be looking at the screen. Um, it's, you know, the, the stuff's right there. You have to know it um, just because it's in your face. And I think a lot of times in, when math kids get a little bit more anxious, so they sit in the back and, you know, it's stressful to them so they don't pay them as much attention, right? But 
um, when you're doing it online, every kid is in the front row. Every kid's face is right there. They can see it. And, you know, um, and I think it's probably still the same amount of stress, but now they don't have to um, have their classmates seeing them not do well or just mess, mess it up first. And in math, you kind of have to mess it up. Like you, you have to not know how to do things and learn how to be comfortable not knowing exactly what you're doing all the time. Right. And um, I think it's a little bit more comfortable when you don't have to do it in front of people. And when you know exactly where to look um, on the whiteboard that the teacher's using, because it's right there in your face, you are in the front row. You can hear exactly what the teacher's saying. So there's not really an excuse. Well, it's, it's not so much that, yeah, it's the, well, there's that element to it, but it's not so much that it's more so that like, um, you know, instead of trying to be away from the front of the class, now you have to be in the front of the class mm. uh, and it makes it a lot easier, right? For math, you know, especially, I think a lot of kids are affected by the fact that um, they might be surrounded by a group of talking kids in the back of the class and it's, it's hard to learn that way, you know? Um, and so, yeah. Um, but then again, I think, you know, a lot of kids have trouble without, without it being, um, without it being so like in person, mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of kids have trouble with that because a lot of math, a lot of math is just convincing the students. A lot of teaching math is just convincing the students that, you know, actually you can do it. It just looks funky, but all these steps, um, stop doing your work uh, on napkins or whatever, right? Stop doing your work in the margins of your paper, like <laughs> nicely so you can see what you're doing. Right. Uh, a lot of it's that, right? <laughs> you know, um, I used to do, I used to do my work like, like diagonally and like all over the paper. Right. And I used to be like, why don't I understand what's going on? Well, it's because it's like, going no. all the damn place. You made a treasure map out of your homework. So yes. then how, how are you um, relieving this, the, the stress blowing off the steam then from, from all this? Oh, you know, well, luckily, you know, I have, um, you know, I have a, um, you know, a very supportive girlfriend. Um, and, uh, you know, she's always around for me. She's always there to talk with me, you know. Um, uh, luckily, um, we got, uh, we kind of got quarantined together uh, almost because she just um, was over. And when the, the whole thing went into, fa- into effect, so we just kind of stayed oh. in the same place. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And then when the pods opened up a little bit, you know, um, we, we were able to go back and forth between the, um, you know, our houses. Uh, it ended up working out. Um, so that, that's that been good. We've been watching a lot of Netflix, a lot of Amazon. Um, you know, we started playing Scrabble. We started nice. playing a lot of Scrabble. I'm pretty good at it. But <laughs> she's really good. Kelly is amazing at Scrabble. What have you been watching? Any Ooh, recommendations uh, or stay away from? As far as movies go, uh, Zathura is underrated big time. Zathura. Z-A-T-H-U-R-A. Okay. Yeah. It's like, uh, it actually, it's not, it's not, um, it's not, uh, discussed in the film, but it's actually like supposed to be a, a sequel to Jumanji. Um, it's a sequel to the book Jumanji actually. And, um, it's a lot of fun. It has a young Josh Hutcherson, uh, has Dak Shepard, young Kristen Stewart. As I'm being young, uh, Kristen Stewart actually does a good job in that. She's like a teenager, so she has to be like all like, you know, moody and stuff. So she does a good job. Josh Hutcherson is really, really funny as a little, as a little guy. And, and Dak Shepard is just himself in that movie. So. Right, yeah. There's some people who are just play themselves. So I usually end with more random questions. 
than your life. I hope you're wearing underwear. Here we go. Oh, wow. uh, what belief do you have that most people disagree with? Ooh, oh, okay. I have a few of them. I have a few of them. Uh, this one, I don't think as many people disagree with this one, but um, I think that um, when students, this and this goes back to my job actually a little bit. Um, I think that students who are taking full like AP or full IB classes and do a certain, you know, and if they're going to take the SAT, I think those kids should be, um, I think those kids should be given like an AA uh, degree. Uh, yeah, I just think I just think because the, then there's motivation to do it. You know, I have a uh, one one reason why I think this is because in uh, my junior year of high school, sorry, my junior year of high school, they were, we were supposed to have in our AP language class, we have this big, uh, big project about an author. It's a huge supposed to be like college level, right? Um, a huge project in that class. Only two of the kids were able to complete it. Uh, only two of the kids were able to complete it. Me. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, this other kid, right? And this kid wasn't didn't have the reputation for being that great of a student. She was, you know, decent. But to me, she kind of did a lot of the same classes that I did, um, but she didn't get the same opportunities. And then her education was interrupted when she had, you know, kids and whatnot, right? You know, not getting those two years of college for all the hard work she did in high school, right? All the supposed college level classes, you know, the AP class, the AP class is supposed to be college level, mm-hmm. not getting actual credit for those, you know, set her back two years when she didn't have to be set back two years. And she could have done a lot more with that time. You know, um, she could have not been, she could have not been a, a parent and a student at the same time. You know, mm-hmm. she could have finished before she had kids or before she had her second kid or whatever, you know, the situation was. I look at that and I think, um, you know, that person could have really benefited and the extra GE classes, I don't think benefited her uh, in college the way, you know, they, the rest of her degree did. Uh, and then, you know, for me, I had that situa- you know, a situation where I'm thinking like, I, mean, I went to ASU on a scholarship, right? I went to Arizona State on a scholarship. And I'm thinking, what if I was able to use part of that scholarship for, um, more classes, you know, what if I was, uh, or what if I was able to use it towards, you know, a, a second major, uh, or if I, you know, what if I was able to accomplish more in my four years at ASU, or, um, you know, maybe I choose to go to the University of San Diego, because that school is very expensive. I got in school's very expensive, though. So I went to Arizona State. I don't regret it at all. I love my time at Arizona State. That's some good people, you know, but, um, but, you know, at the same time, you know, that I put in all that hard work, and I felt like I should have had more choices. You know, mm. I feel that way about a lot of the kids, but a lot of people will say, no, they need to be in college doing the, you know, the student's going to be a biologist. So they need to take underwater basket weaving uh, to get their general ed, you know, uh, please don't knock that. We're number one in underwater basket weaving discussions <laughs> as a podcast. If science were able to predict who would be more likely to commit crimes, should we jail them before they commit any crimes? I would say No. Um, cause it more likely doesn't mean, uh, hundred, you know, they're going to, I think, well, let's think of it this way. I, I, I'll give like a baseball metaphor. Um, in, in baseball, uh, when a runner, when there are zero outs, uh, and nobody on base, you have a certain percentage that you're going to score. Right. And that percentage increases when you have more people on base, but there have been situations where you have the bases loaded, no outs where you have like a 90% chance of scoring where you didn't score. And there have been situations where you had, you know, two outs, two strikes on the batter uh, where you have an almost, you know, 0% chance of scoring and you get the run anyway. So all that is to say, um, likelihood doesn't happen. And I think that's, um, you know, too much. And then also at the same time, when it comes to a lot of crimes, what is crime? Let's think of it this way. The jaywalking fine is what, like 150 bucks? I probably jaywalked 
a thousand times in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. The government is listening fine? to this. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> We've right. got them now. But should I be fined $150,000? Should I be prevented from being a pedestrian? You know, um, so it depends. That would be a lot. I think that would be good information to have to help educate this person to be like, hey, man, this data says, you know, if you continue living the way you live, you're going to end up, you know, killing somebody. That might be helpful. I'll finish that thought with this. What if a certain crime is inevitable in, in society, right? Like it's going to happen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then you say, well, this person's more likely to do it, so we're going to jail them, right? But that crime was going to happen, right, considering the circumstances. So now somebody else does it who was less likely to commit a crime. Nothing was stopped. It just now is a different person who is less likely to do it, right? Give another analogy, even NBA analogy, right? Let's say that, you know, right now, um, I have like a, a 0.001% chance of ever playing in the NBA. You're too hard on yourself. <laughs> but what if everybody got sick, right, in the NBA? And now they're like, well, whoever can play, right? And now at this point, I have a much higher percentage uh, uh, chance of playing the NBA, right? A much better chance of playing the NBA. And I do, and I become an all-star, right? All that, All that is to say... All that is to say, chances, you know, your, your probabilities, uh, a lot of times can be, you know, quite nebulous, right? Mm-hmm. They, they might, they don't really mean a whole lot until the thing, the actions go into place and you know exactly what's going on. So, you know, I have a very low chance of playing in the NBA. It says I still have a chance. Am I ever going to? No. Um, you know, is that even remotely likely? No. But the possibility is still there. I think even with a high pro- probability of things happening, it doesn't tell you a lot about how that person, in a person's life, it doesn't tell you a whole lot about how that person's going to end up living their life besides how they might do it and what it looks like, what it looks like is going to happen, right? Because um, then you also have to trust the parameters of however you're getting that data, or the parameters, the, you have to trust how you're collecting that data, right? Um, uh, so yeah, I don't I don't think, what I'm saying is I don't think that would work. (laughs) What you're saying is false. Um, If your five-year-old self was inside of your body now, what would be the first thing your five-year-old self do? Uh, Five years old? Um, I would probably, um, hmm, probably um, go like, and go do cool stuff on the monkey bars. Probably like, lift heavy stuff, throw stuff around. Yeah. Probably. Um, you know what I would do? I would get on my roof. I would get on my roof. Why As a child, you? I always wanted to get on the roof of my house and, oh. and I never really could. Now I can, but I don't want to. Yeah. Yeah. You have a high probability. You have, no, you have a high ability to mm. You're just not using it. Got it. Exactly. What was the last new thing you tried? Oh man. Uh, the last new thing I tried. Uh, let's see. That's a tough one. Last new thing I tried. Let's see. I think I tried. Uh, oh, I tried. Um, I just recently switched uh, to uh, Fresh Hygiene, um, which has changed my life. It's a brand. It's a brand of like it. So they, they do like. Oh, I thought you just meant hygiene in general. <laughs> yeah. No, I've tried to be fresh now. Yeah. No, I've, I've decided to start taking showers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Damn it. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> there's, a, there's this brand called Fresh Hygiene, and they are amazing. They're body wash, they're antiperspirants. Highly recommend. Find them on Amazon, Fresh Hygiene. I'm telling everybody, change, you will change your life, some of their products. 
is poverty an inevitable byproduct of human society? Poverty? Um, not inevitable, but um, uh, I would say, you know, it's, you know, very likely because uh, poverty also can be subjective uh, in a certain way. So I think subjectively speaking, yeah, subjectively speaking, poverty is inevitable, right? Uh, objectively speaking, if you're saying, you know, if you um, have, if not being in poverty is the ability to live with dignity, I would say that in a lot of ways, it's almost inevitable. But at the same time, at the same time, I think it can be eradicated. I'm a big fan of another one of my other uh, unpopular opinions is I, I think everything should be done by robots and um, we should have less work. Not everything should be done by robots. I just think more things should be automated and we should have less work in general. I have to do less work in general. And then the last question, what is the opposite of a koala? The opposite of a koala? Um, opposite of a koala. So the koalas are not very intelligent animals. Dang, shots fired. They like, for example, uh, koalas only eat, only eat eucalyptus leaves, right? Uh huh. Hold out a eucalyptus leaf in your hand, and the koala is dying of hunger. The koala will not take the eucalyptus leaf out of your hand because it will not recognize that as food. It has to be in the tree, right? So koalas. That's right? nuts. Koalas have a lot of uh, have high rates of infection. Also, they're like fake bears. Um, so they're fake. They're fake bears. They're fakers. Why are you co- okay? So then, <laughs> what is the opposite of all of that? The opposite. So, so the opposite a real bear, an intelligent, clean animal who like doesn't get infections. You know, and it has to be a bear, actual bear. So my God, I'm gonna go with. I've seen some. I've seen some pretty intelligent like brown bears out there or uh, black bears out there. So I'm gonna go with like you know a bear who you know uh, grew up in a good school district um, and uh, had a good education growing up, good uh, good opportunities. So I feel like you had a bad experience at a zoo trying to feed a koala, probably when you were five, and uh, you got upset. I no, like I that's just, where this is stemming from. I just used to really like koalas, and then I learned about them, and I was very disappointed. Oh God! <laughs> you know what the opposite of a koala is? Um, so uh, the Polish infantry during World War II had a bear who was like a who a name Wotek. I think it's pronounced Wotek. Who like would carry like ammunition shells? He would like he would carry the crates and like you know pick them around. He wore a uniform. Yeah, Wotek, the Polish bear soldier. So that is, Botech is the opposite of a koala because he's intelligent, wore a clean uniform, you know, so stayed clean. Although he did smoke cigars and drink, uh, and drink alcohol. Um, I think that's forgivable. If he's putting on, if he has clothes and he's doing work, I think that's all right. One, he's a soldier, you know I mean? He's he's gotta, a if he's, if he's, if he's, if he can put his life in danger for his country, he can, you know, enjoy himself a little Yeah. Bit. He's allowed to unwind. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this is where I, exactly where I thought this was going to go <laughs> with you. <laughs> I'm so happy I, I, I was able to get you on. Thank you again. Yeah, of course. I'm glad to, glad to be on. I miss you. Have a good day. I miss you too, bro. Have a good one. And say hi to the say hi to the little guy for me. I he's going potty, which he I heard him fighting with Serena about just a second ago. But yeah, I, I'd tell him. All right, sounds good. All right, bye. Right, love you, man. Love you. Russell, yeah, I'm between Russell and Manny from Modern Family, so I'm, no. I'm in there.